0: Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lechtenstein. Today we're going to talk about SNEAS but not the typical sneas. We're going to talk about sneas and how it applies to men. And for example, what we'll talk about is can men wear skin-tight pants? That's the style nowadays. Bicycle clothing and the like. So just to take a step back before introducing today's topic in more detail. We had a couple of recent shows. One was about vaping, smoking, drinking, and another one about lavish lifestyles, business trips, going to Vegas and Atlantic City and elsewhere, marijuana, and even cocaine use. And I got Some significant feedback by people I know and people listening to the show. And I just want to review a little bit of that feedback. And that will be a springboard for today's topic. So I got an email from somebody who lives on the East Coast of the United States. And I'm going to quote as follows. There is a growing frustration amongst women that the concept of SNEAS only applies to women. Men seem to be able to do what they want when they want, and no one says anything. So that's from the East Coast. On the West Coast of the United States, I received an email as follows. I also heard the podcast you did this week, etc. Happy that you are not seeing these behaviors in Yerushalayim. I truly believe it is more prevalent than you even stressed so much to discuss. That was from the West Coast. And then let's move on to Yerushalayim. I got a call from somebody I know who lives in a different neighborhood than I live in, and he told me nicely, but he said, you missed the boat on what's happening here in Yushalayim because indeed there are certain neighborhoods that these problems indeed exist. The excessive drinking, drunkenness on Shabbos, Kiddushim and the like. And his take was that these are people who grew up outside of Israel. They grew up in wealthy families and they brought their minhagim to here. Yeshivas don't want to discipline them. They've grown up here. They live here and in various neighbors in Yushalayim. Unfortunately, the drinking and various issues are rampant as well. And, an, and another interesting insight he said, he says, if you look at Balei chuva they've gone through the reverse process. They went through college for example, growing up high school college, and they saw the drinking and the drugs, and they saw the futility in all of that. The futility in going to the frat houses. And then they were Chhozer B'Chuva knowing that they were wasting time throughout college and before. But we see the opposite is happening with some of the Hamisha people that uh, they grow up maybe without these activities and uh when they have access to it they act like they are in a frat house so hopefully we can uh learn from the Balei chuva There's a lot to learn from Balei chuva but leaving behind these activities. So that's some of the feedback that I received on a couple of the past shows. So what we are going to dive into today is tneas. Tnias, what does it mean for men? And uh, what's really interesting is, despite the fact that as we'll see, Tnias seems to apply to men as well, but why accordingly do women get clobbered when it comes to dressing modestly or immodestly? Why uh, do they get called on and get blamed for terrible things? that happened to Kalal Yisrael because of breaches of the norms of Tznias by women. Does that only apply to women? Is there a basis for those claims? And how about the men? If men walk around with tight shorts, tank tops, no one says anything about it. So when it comes to dress, what are indeed the guidelines for men? Because we are seeing new styles nowadays with the tight-fitting pants, the leggings, effectively they look like leggings, the pants that men are putting on. You need a shoehorn to get into them effectively. And we'll also dabble in the discussion of white shirts versus blue shirts. Is there a problem wearing a blue shirt, a place that uh, only white shirts are worn? Or how about no socks? Or what many are wearing, colorful socks. And we will also talk about Tight fitting bicycle clothing? Is that okay? Is that not okay? And we'll talk about how about in the context of a bicycle race, would it be proper to wear tight bicycle clothing? Is that any different than just wearing it around casually? And we'll also talk an interesting conversation about how do standards change over time? And we'll also explain the conversation not only to Sneas and dress, but we'll talk about Sneas in other areas of life as well. So before it's going to our guests, uh, just a couple Divrei Torah. Looking at the Parshios that we are currently involved in right now, we're talking about the Tzivoy to build the Mishkan, and the actual building of the Mishkan, and the part this Yosef points out very interestingly, that when you were looking at the Mishkan, there was a lot of wealth that went into building of the Mishkan, a lot of high-quality, expensive materials that went into it, and he lists them out. We have all of this Ashirus, all this wealth, and the beauty, and the Krashima Abrichim, Tabos, Sahav, Yerios, Chos, etc., etc., has a long list but what is fascinating is it's all underneath it's all covered up it's covered up by curtains of goat hair simple inexpensive on the top and only expensive on the bottom and he says that this is a remez this is the Parnas Yosef he says this is a remis, The clown Yisrael how they should act when they have wealth because vis-a-vis people who are looking at us the Klapechuts, we have to look very simple we should not show it off. We have to be very careful to not quote-unquote be in their face. We have to be low-key so we don't draw the ire of those neighbors that we live around. So that's the part of Yosef, or part is Yosef and he actually continues, he says, it's even before the Mishkan. This is what Yaakov Avino told his sons when there was the famine and they had something left. He said, Lama why are you showing off? Why are you uh, giving off the appearance that we have something that's not proper when people don't have anything around us? And the the Jose Milublin, he says based on a Gemara and Chagiga. The Gemara and Chagiga says that there are actually benefits of anius to Klai There are benefits of poverty to Klai So the Chosei mi Lublin says as follows. Tova anius Poverty is good for Klai What does that mean? How we act vis-a-vis other people who are looking at us. Other communities. Other peoples that we are living in their countries. Shelo Yisrael we should not appear as we are wealthy. That is not not going to increase the good relationships that we have with the people around us that don't have the same standards of living as we may. And he goes on to say that in Mitzrayim, when Kali Yisrael was in Mitzrayim, he says this was another problem, the same problem they had then, Gamken Pashta Negazet, the same exact problem, the same plague that Chal Yisrael were found in the non-Jewish bars, the Bante Mishte, their party houses were full of Jews, kinas and this caused a lot of jealousy by the Mitzrayim Stream. So these are all important concepts Shem, we will talk about on this show but just to dabble a little bit in the concept of the clothing. So now we're going to move on to Parshas Vayeshev. Parshas Vayeshev uh, Rav Meir Premishlin has a very interesting insight what was going on with Potiphar's wife and her interest in Yosef. And he says that Yosef departed in a certain way from the teaching of his father's Yaakov. Yaakov adhered to traditional garb, traditional dress and Yosef he was dressing stylishly. He was dressing in a different way. He was dressing with style and he says that's what caused the problem. That's what drawed the interest, the desires of Potiphar's wife. He She said as follows, if he dresses like that, if he appears this way from the outside, I think he's going to be amenable to my. Attraction, he's gonna be amenable to my approaches and interest in him. That was totally based on the garb, and in fact, he quotes the Zohar that says, based on the Paschuk, that she grabbed onto his clothing. What does that mean? Indeed, that her interest we beca- was because of his external look that he dressed more modern, more stylishly, and that's actually what caused the problem. And, uh, beautifully, Rav Mayor Pramishlin says that he saw that the Demusti Yokno Shalavim. We saw the image of his father, Nirelo. It says, Nirelo, it appeared to him, now it's the language of, he agreed now with the Demustiokli, is the dress of his father that he understood that having more traditional garb, garb and not so stylish, that is the proper approach in order to avoid the problems that he had with Potiphar's wife. In fact, just continuing in Parshish Achremos in the Tan of Moshe Sternbach, he says, lo who talks about the Surim of going in pagan ways, the non Jewish ways. But when it comes to dress, he said, even if it's not a problem of chukas a goim, we should dress differently from the umasa olam. We should dress, we should dress differently. That is an important way that we can distinguish ourselves from the umasa olam. So that is all going to be covered on the show. Amir Tashem, we have a quite an amazing group of guests on this show. We're going to first hear from Rabbi Anthony Manning. Rabbi Manning is the head of a seminary in Yerushalayim. He's a world-renowned speaker. And he happens to be a bucky in Hilchus Niyas. He's putting a lot of time and effort, putting out a new sefer on Hilchus Niyas, not targeted at women. He's going to talk about the whole concept of what does mean for us, men and women alike. And then we're going to move on to speak with Rabbi woollen Schwartzman, the esteemed and renowned Rosh Kolal in Yerushalayim, the grandson of Rav Aron Cutler, and the son of the Gaon Rav Dov Schwartzman Zatzal, and then we are going to move on to speak with Mrs. Bracha Deutsch. Mrs. Bracha, also known as B.D. Deutsch, is a professional, world-class marathon competitor, triathlon competitor. I didn't even know what a triathlon was. It's very, pretty pretty grueling, three different sports that uh, somebody has to compete in. And the questions to her focused on being involved in professional sports and dressing in a proper way. Dressing with leggings and a skirt below the knees and, and a shirt uh, proper below the elbows and a head covering. Does that negatively impact your ability to compete? How much is that hurting you by dressing Tzanua? Maybe we can extrapolate some lessons and she'll teach us some lessons how we have to focus on SNEAS as well even when we are competing even if, if it could be to our detriment and then we are going to wind up speaking with Rabbi Dr. Jeremy Weider a tremendous Talmud Chacham, a Rashi Shivat and a Bucky in Tanakh and he's going to walk us through SNEAS issues through Tanakh, through Chazal and discuss contemporary issues Today, as it relates to SNEAS. And now, before going to our guests, we will hear this week's riddle. For this week's riddle, we are going to Parshas Pekudei, Perak Psukim Vav and Zayin. It says in uh, Pasuk Zayin, Avnei Zikaron talking about the uh, expensive stones, expensive jewels that were on the afoot, and it says they were Avne Zikaron Livnei Yisrael. And our question is as follows: Chazal tells us that at the time that Yosef was having his Nisayun in the house of Potifar, Potisar's wife, and the challenge that ensued there, Chazal tell us that the Tumusi Yoknochal that the the image of his father, Yaakov Avino, appeared to Yosef. And Yosef was told as follows. These names of your brothers are going to be engraved on the aphod, on the stones of the aphod. Don't move forward with this act you really want your name to be removed all of your brothers will be engraved and you will not and the question is as follows what's the connection between the avanim the stones and the engraving of the names of the brothers and Yosef's being removed specifically on the stones of the aphod so what is the connection here that if Yosef moved forward with this Avera that his name would be removed specifically from being engraved on the stone that would relate to him of the AFOD.
1: if you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen in america our number is 732-806-8700 in england it's 44 i think that's the country code 3301170250 in eric yisrael it's zero two three seven two zero three o four.
0: and now let's go to our guests Joining us now is Rabbi Anthony Manning. Rabbi Manning is a popular lecturer at numerous yeshivas and seminaries in Israel, and he is the co-director of a seminary, Midrash at Hiti Hila And he also lectures worldwide on numerous topics. He actually gives a, a weekly shear at the OU Center in Yerushalayim. And he's close to publishing an expansive book on the halachas and the hashkafas behind SNEAS. Rabbi Manning, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Shalom, Rabbi Wasserman. Thank you. Delighted to be here.
0: I should have said, and he also has a great accent. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's the most prominent thing. So Rabbi Manning, let, let me let me dive right in. Most fundamental, we're talking about sneas for men. Sure. Typically, we don't think about sneas for men. Sneas is, is a female concept in most people's minds. So does sneas apply to men at all? And if so, how does it apply?
2: Yes, so Sneas uh, does definitely apply to men, um, and many people are not aware of how that works. There is a Torah mitzvah of tzinius, um, which is brought down by uh, the Rishonim, which is uh, counted in the 613 mitzvahs, the Sefer Mitzvah Sakot, brings it based on the Poshik Vayamachanech HaKadosh, the idea that we need to keep our environment, our awareness of, of being Lifnei Hashem, uh, and we need to keep that as a consciousness, and Sneas and is really that consciousness of being Lifnei Hashem, even in the most private places. And that applies, as I said, that's brought down as one of the 613. The Bir Halacha brings that as a practical halacha. And as I say, this is really about sneer uh, awareness in the private places. Shulchan Oroch brings this in the, in the areas of our homes where no one else is there, in, in, our, in our bathrooms, in our bedrooms. Um, and this applies irrespective of gender. Men and women are equally uh, addressed by this mitzvah. Interestingly, people often quote the the uh, the case of Kimchis, who is brought in the Gemara Nyuma, that uh, she had an incredibly dignified self-awareness. Awareness, even when she was alone in the house, there is a parallel account uh, by, by Rabbi Yossi, almost identically worded in the Gemara in Shabbos, that says that he had the same sensitivity in his sneers and his awareness in the house, even when he was on his own in private. And therefore, when the mitzvah of sneers is brought, the very first halacha of Shulchan Arach, Aleph, Aleph, there are more quotes, the Morin that's that snei Alechis, and being aware of Sneas is, is a mitzvah for all Jews. So uh, it's really fundamental to know that, that in its essence and foundation, Sneas is addressed at men and women equally.
0: So, so what you're saying is we add parallel Gemaras. We have Kimchis on the one hand, having Sneas inside the home for the women. And we have Rabbi Yossi, almost an identical concept on the inside yes. as well. So why is it that it's the women that get clobbered to dress modestly, and uh, they are blamed under certain circumstances if certain uh, tragedies happen in Kowloon. So while well, we have some men walking around with tight shorts, tops, and and nobody says anything,
2: I think um, that that is definitely a problem. And I one there are a few causes to it. Um, first of all, I don't think we ever really address the issue of sneers with our young men. It's not on the curriculum in schools. It's not on the curriculum in yeshivas. They don't even see why that's a conversation. And, and from what we're discussing now, and this is much more elaborated in the book, sneers uh, is really a conversation that we need to start having with young men about their own sneers, as well as the way they relate to the sneers of other people and women as well. Um, uh, so it's not on the agenda. We can put it on the agenda if we just educate people better. And also, I think there's a very strong uh, feeling, we'll talk about this maybe maybe a little bit, you know, as we go on, that sneers is a dress code issue, which it's really not. Sneers is a sensitivity. Uh, it's a nuance. It's an understanding of the dignity in one's life and one's projection and one's appearance. And if we if we can shift the conversation on sneers generally away from a list of do's and don'ts, of, of the green list and the red list, away from that dress code attitude to a values attitude, um, then people will immediately be able to see that it applies to men um, in, in, in maybe in a different way, but no less essentially than it applies to women. So I think it's partly starting the conversation uh, with men about this and shifting the focus of the conversation from the dress code list to the values, dignity, and understanding of how that applies in life. I think then the men will be more enfranchised in this conversation. So it has to come from us, but there's no reason why it can't be a discussion.
3: Right,
0: so l- let's take a step back then a- and define sneers I- On the one hand, it can mean, and we typically explain it as modesty, and maybe modesty is more for myself, um, maybe it's showing off and maybe that's for others that'd be our hakira. So So let's define modesty and how broadly does, does it does it apply, for example, spending money lavishly. What car I drive? I I don't know what it's like in in uh, Hendon and Golders Green, but uh, in Los Angeles, you know, what what you drive is what you are. It defines who you are. So, how about driving that red sports car, that Ferrari, or the a Porsche, or getting the. Uh, Top of the line Lexus, I don't know what number they're up to, but number 2029 XYZ, you know, it, it, does that fall into SNES also? So, how, what's our definition?
2: Right, it definitely it does. And there are different focuses of sneers. As I mentioned, the Torah mitzvah is focused on Chadre Chadorim and my self awareness and awareness of God, even in the places where no one's there. But it goes beyond that. Don't forget there's the posik in Micha, which many people think is the beginning of the conversation. It's not, but it's definitely an integral part of the conversation. And the Gemara picks on that particular posik, Gemara in Sukkot in Mentes, and it says that leches in Hashem lo kercha is how we perform and how we uh, um, how we uh, our attitudes towards very big public events too. It singles out weddings and funerals, for example, because weddings and funerals are the big set piece public events that in which we have the uh, you know the front of show opportunity to show off what we have or to do it in a different way. And and there is where the discussion is as to what is our primary focus with our outward projection. Is it primarily focused on showing other people what we have? showing other people what we do? Or is it primarily focused on doing this L'Shem Shamaim? And it doesn't mean you have to have a, an old, uh, broken down car. It doesn't mean you have to have a tiny wedding. But it's it's the question of where the focus lies. Rabbi Feldman, Rabbi Emanuel Feldman, had a very interesting a- article many years ago about sneers for men, Jewish action. And he talks there and he says, if the primary focus is to attract attention, and he's talking about sneers for men, he's not addressing women, attracting attention in dress behavior, and speech, then that by definition is a non-tsanua action. And therefore, I'm not saying that nobody should be driving a fancy sports car. It really is very contextual, and we can talk more about how context works in this. And maybe for some people, having a big fancy car does fit with their persona and their role in society, etc. But as I said, for other people, and where the focus is outwards, is this is what I have, and this is what I can do, and this is what I want to spend. So that's usually, it's not a black and white thing, a sign that this is infringing on the line between sneers and preachers. Don't forget also, Yeshaya, Yeshayahu calls HaKadosh Baruch a Kel a God who is hidden, who is inward in that sense. He's not all out there and our mitzvah we have a mitzvah to copy the mitzvah of our god and one of them is to be more inward focused and less out there in all things again it doesn't mean we have to be introverted but it does mean we have to be like think a little bit about what what we're trying to achieve by having the big car or the fancy belts or the fancy suit or whatever it is maybe it's appropriate but maybe it's
0: not. so when it comes to sneeze motivation is critical yes Let's go into the definition then of erva. Maybe maybe that's a little bit more objective as opposed to the subjective or amorphous term of tznias.
2: Yes. Uh, and I think that, that's, you know, I, I learned a lot of these principles uh, and sitting in front of Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz many years ago in his Kolel. And, and he is, I uh, mean, he's been on your programs quite recently. And he's the world master on this in many ways. And he draws a very strong distinction between, on the one hand, sneers which is focused on the dignity of the person as a subject, them bringing God into their lives. And on the other hand, erva which is generally and primarily a halacha which is focused on the onlooker. And I think that, that the confusion between those two concepts is one of the roots of why Tznias is not often understood well by people. There is a relationship between them. Absolutely. Tznias and Erva is complex, and this is fleshed out much more in the book. But primarily Erva is uh, if there's an onlooker who is able to see somebody who is not fully dressed for whatever reason. There are restrictions on what they can do in terms of davening, Sheva Kadusha. This is all spoken out in the in the saying the Shmar, and 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 Shmona Esrei and brachos and Shem Hashem and Talmud Torah, etc. But but that is potentially distinct from the issue of sneers. I'll give you two examples. Um, As someone can, there can be sneers without error and there can be error without sneers. I think this is where the confusion lies. For example, let's say somebody is dressed in an incredibly inappropriate, fancy way, which is completely unbefitting to the the context in which they're in, which is very not sanua in all... They could be covered from head to toe. What they're wearing is not sanua but there's no erva There's nothing to do with erva there. um On the other hand, there can be somebody who is in a very private context. Let's say there's a husband and wife alone in the house. There's no reason for her to be fully dressed necessarily. They could she could be getting changed. Whatever it is, that's fine. She is completely sanuah It's totally appropriate to be dressed in this way in this context. How are you dressed in the shower? How are you dressed in the mikveh? It's completely appropriate. It's entirely sanuah to be undressed in those situations because that's the way to be. And yet, if someone were to be, you know, seeing it or on, they, they would not be allowed because of the Ereba to say the brachas. So you, you have to divide the two things. The problem is when people see their um, dress, uh, if you like, halachas, through the lens of Ereba, they are unwittingly seeing themselves as an object, which is wrong. And it's actually very unhealthy. And they're projecting this objectification into themselves when they shouldn't be. There's the laws of sneers which is how a person should dress, men and women. And then there are the halachas of Ereba, which are... You know, primarily focused on the onlooker. What can they and what can't they say if there is someone dressed in such a way, whether or not appropriately, depending on the serious angle. So separating those two things, although they do connect, is a really important part. And for most people I've spoken to, this is actually a new idea. They haven't come across this idea, but I think it's very fundamental.
0: Uh, so, so what you're saying is when we have a scenario to analyze, we have to analyze it from both of those torpedoes. Yeah, we, we, we have the airva issue and we have the sneas issue. So l- let's apply that. Tight pants. Tight pants for women, for example. They attract attention from men. Problematic. What about the reverse? You know, nowadays there's a style that men wear super tight pants, like leggings. Mama's like leggings for women. You they need a shoehorn to get into it, basically. Analyze that for us from a, both an air of a problem, apparently not an air of a problem, because there's you know it's it's covered. But how about a sneez problem? And if it's super uh, tight, yeah. And, and, and then from a, a begadisha perspective, maybe we have to we have to analyze mm-hmm. it for ervot sneez and begadisha.
2: Correct. You're absolutely right, Rabbi Wasserman. These are three different areas of halacha, and it's you can't just conflate them and put them all into one. A uh, begadisha in this discussion, I think, is a little bit less relevant because when men are wearing cycle pants, whatever it is, uh, they're, they're, they're very tight. They're not wearing women's. Uh, fashions. They're wearing things designed for men. So it's not going to be an issue of Beged Isha in that sense. But I think in terms of sneers one has to ask a fundamental question. What is considered to be a covering when it says you have to cover certain areas for dignity, nothing to do with error, for your own personal dignity? Clearly, there comes a point when a Uh, A micro thin layer of covering is just not a covering. Let's say somebody wore no clothes at all, but just sprayed themselves with a millimeter covering of plastic or paint and walked around. There's no way they could say they're covering anything. Oh, yeah, but nothing is. Everything is is visible. No, that's not the point. That's clearly not called a covering. And therefore, that's the first thing one has to ask men or women is, is this just so clinging as to not be a covering at all? I, I don't know where the line is exactly between okay and not okay, but it has to be a, uh, a consideration. And I think this is a broader issue. Normally, we're focused on sneers for women and Shmiris 9 for men, and we should be, and that's important. But let's not forget that there is sneers for men and Shmiris 9 for women. Uh, women are not uh, excluded and exempted from that whole concept. of have Moshe Feinstein in it. There's a, there's a Chuva in English Moshe where he talks uh, at length about A9 for women. Uh, and therefore, just like we would say, like you mentioned at the beginning, if somebody, if a woman was walking around in something which is going to uh, attract attention in that way, although you know that's also the man's responsibility for what he's looking at clearly, so too a man should be aware of the implications of walking around and wearing something that will attract inappropriate attention from women as well. Uh, and uh, therefore, it, just like I mentioned, we need to expand the conversation of sneers to men as well. We need to expand the conversation to women as well and uh, not make out that these are two completely independent and uh, unrelated topics.
0: And that adds, adds in the issue of, uh, of leaf naiver, of a man is walking around inappropriately drawing right. attention, and if he's causing a Shmiras Einayim problem with the women, there could be a Lifneiver in addition. Right. And, and by the way, that's
2: an important point. Lifneiver is part of the discussion of dress in public, etc., but it is not the basis of the Halakhas Hatsuniyahs. And this is another critical point which I think people often don't get clear, uh, which is that if you, uh, you know, usually it's focused on women in the conversation that people have, uh, but if, if someone presents... Uh, dress and clothing as, uh, you need to dress this way because otherwise you'll be placing temptation in front of men who are going to be doing Averis because of what you're wearing. Um, now, that may be true and that may be a consideration. Lifnei, we should never do anything which encourages someone else to do an Avera. But that is not the root and the foundation of Snias because that, again, is very objectifying and Snias is not objectifying. sneers looks at you as a subject. Lifnei, is a consideration. It has to be. Ben Adam l'chavera. It's a consideration, but it's not the root of Snias. It's connected to and comes alongside, but it's important as an educational, you know, motif to, tra- to make sure that Snias is not presented as if naiva.
0: Okay. Interesting. That, w- w- th- this show is listened to worldwide by people in all different countries, all different of uh, communities. A- and I'd like to try to delve in to understand how local custom has an impact on things. Because if we're talking about how dresses in Golders Green versus uh, London is going to be the same versus uh, wherever whatever community it is that that's going to be more modern so it, it, when it comes to and I know we, we we've said that basically not a lot of differences between men and women there are details but in concept there's there's not yes. when it comes to women we have the, the the famous uh three buckets of analysis we have the Das Moshe we have Das Yehudis and we have the local custom. How do those concept play, concepts play out for men? Because typically, Das Moshe, yeah, it's talked about in the context in Ksubas of covering of hair, Das Yehudis, what's been accepted by the women of Kalal Israel throughout the generations, the norms of tzinias, and and uh, then it gets to local customs, it's the local customs of, of tzinias. So how would that apply to men? And I'd love to, to get to the bottom line of if we have differences in the customs of wearing clothing, you know, in certain uh, areas, uh, men wear black and white, which we'll get into. I'm going to ask you on that, very interested to hear. And in other places, it's uh, short pants or short sleeves. How does this all play out?
2: Yes, so um, I think that, First of all, let me start with a, a brief summary of how I understand and how I, you know, learn from a book. Which these things actually come together. You, you correctly, you said there's the dasmosha angle. The context here is a Mishling Ksuvas, and I'm based there, where the Gemara says that there are certain modes of behavior. That if a woman behaves in a certain way, she's not going to be entitled to a financial settlement in the Ksuba. and it separates into dasmosha, which are Torah-founded issues between the man and the wife, like the head covering, like you said, das Yehudis, which, and it's important to remember, Das Yehudis or Dat Yehudit, however you want to pronounce it, uh, means, it means the Jewish rules. That means the rules or the norms, and Yehudit means Jewish. There is a Girsa in the Mishnah that calls it Dat Yehudim. Therefore, it's not focused on women specifically. It's not Dat Yehudiot. It's Dat Yehudit. It's the Jewish norms of behavior. Um, now, obviously, the context of the Gemara there is women because it's talking about the Ksuba. But uh, there's Das Moshe. There's an objective list of four or five Das Yehudis issues that are there listed in the Mishnah, which are reflected in Shulchan Aruch, covering the arms and other kinds of behavior. And then quite rightly, as you said, there is the minhag angle. Now that's also part of Das Yehudis. It's the more subjective part of Das Yehudis. meaning Rashi defines it as the minhag of the women in that community, even though it's not written down and presented in some kind of a official halachic dress code that came from on high. Nevertheless, it's the minhag that's created by these women. And I think we need to just stress the minhag here is not a light thing. Minhag is a binding halachic category, just like uh, you know, if you're Ashkenazi, you won't just sit down and eat rice on Pesach because ah, it's just a minhag, whatever. It's a very binding minhag, and if you have to change your society in order to remove yourself from a societal minhag, uh, and defining society is also very important. We can't do this in the confines of these few conversations. Um, but it's something we get to much more in the book these days, society is not geographical, it's more associative, et cetera. Um, but as I said, the, the 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 minhag of the community to define certain things. So, and I'll apply it to men in a second, but let's just think about it in terms of women, which is normally discussed. Um, many of the quote unquote rules of sneers, which are halachic uh, issues, that people wonder where does they where do they get these things from? Where do they where do they find the sources for the colours for clothing and, and the styles and the length of the shaitals, et cetera? Most of those issues beyond the objective requirements of halacha are binding community Das Yehudis norms. And therefore, if you're in that community, they're binding on the people in that community. It's not a khumrah, it's a halachic issue. Um, and therefore, they do depend on the society. In some societies, women wear tights below the knee, in some societies, they don't. And that's not because of an objective issue, it's because of a subjective to Now, there's a lot more to say about this, um, uh, certainly regarding women, but regarding men, and um, there is no clear source, as far as I'm aware, that says that Dasihudis applies to men. Because the whole discussion of Dasihudis is in the Gomorrah in Sneers regarding Snears in Ksildas. However, it seems absolutely clear that the same concept of minagamokam in dress also applies to men. And let me give some examples. It used to be until the last couple of hundred years the Jewish men uh, wore long, beckershire type uh, jackets that went down and uh, down to their knees and, and and totally covered the fronts of their bodies. Um, and they would not wear pants and a short jacket. It was considered inappropriate, not sanua. It's too open. And then there's a group of men in Western Europe uh, called themselves, what people call them the Yekkas. So there's a whole debate as to what Yekka really means. But one of the theories is it comes from the yakka, which is the jacket. This was a group of Western Europeans who suddenly are wearing jackets and pants how is that possible how did that develop and the answer is it's not a sudden thing nobody suddenly woke up one morning and said let's all start wearing jackets and pants over time organically the minag of the jewish community the halakhically observant focused sneers aware Jewish community in Western Europe changed its mode, mode of dress so that now a short jacket and pants is not considered a breach of sneers in those societies. Maybe it still is in a Hasidic society who still have a different minagam a Yehudis, if you like, for their society. So we see that. And, and I think this relates to many areas. For example, you mentioned uh, you know the white shirts. Some of it may be more of a dress code issue. Meaning, let me draw the distinction, which is very important. I, I'm the head of a, a seminary. It's an institution. We have a dress code. If you want to join our institution, then the dress code is XYZ. I don't want to have a discussion as to whether how that works with Hilka sneers is a much more complex, nuanced, sensitive, not so black and white area. Dress code is very black and white. You do this and you don't do this. So yes, there is a certain element of what people wear in different societies is a dress code to some degree, but it's more than a dress code. Give you an example. Um, A a man from a more yeshivi society who always wears a closed shoe. If he suddenly walks into shul on Shabbos morning wearing sandals, that's not just a, a dress code issue. That's a lack of dignity. That's a lack of tzniyut. There's there's something that's he's just missed the trick there. That's not that's not how a man in that society should dress. Um, uh, and uh, it, it could be, you know, issues like uh, in your society, is it appropriate to go in the pool with a bare chest or should you wear a T-shirt? Talking about a pool with just men, just men swimming. That's it's not such a straightforward issue, but it's a sneers issue. And it may be in certain societies it's inappropriate, and in certain societies it's more appropriate. And therefore, I think there are there there are many applications in you know you have to wear a, a shirt in 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 the street, but if you go out in your society wearing a Hawaiian shirt one day, that's that will be considered to be inappropriate, and not just because people are conformist and into dress code, but because that's just not dignified in that society. In other societies, maybe yes. So I think there are lots of ways uh, to, to to address this.
0: Right. You know what's interesting is that if there's a set local custom. And the example was a long back and that changed with the Yikki Jews on the, on the shorter, you have people violating that dress code until it becomes a new norm. And you see a similar concept when it comes to Mara you know, something that is a Mara Originally before, you know, some some say you can't wear a shaytel because it's a moral sign. Some say it's common knowledge nowadays, but between when it wasn't common knowledge and now common knowledge, or when you have Shabbos clocks turning on lights and it was not common knowledge and now common knowledge, or the sprinkler, Shiloh, can you put on your sprinklers? Everyone has it on Shabbos clock nowadays. So some posts can say it's not a problem, but there was a time that everyone said it's a problem and it's those innovators that violated the norms Mm-hmm. But then because they violate it, it becomes, uh, it becomes standard and then it comes becomes permitted. So it's a, a right. similar concept here.
2: Yes, I think so. And um, I think what people don't often get is that Das Yehudis is is rooted in minhag. Minhag is halakhically binding minhag, as we spoke about before. It's not an optional thing. But the nature of minhag is its change is organic. It's not done in, uh, in, a, in a punctuated way. And therefore, uh, the way that people dress and, and, and the, the Das Yehudis of men or of women is not changed by people putting up a, a list on the lamppost of these are now the authorised uh, you know, styles and, and lengths, etc. That's much more of a dress code approach. Um, das Yehudis changes organically. It's not a bunch of rebels that run out one day and say, we're all going to wear coloured shirts now. Over time, and you see this, you see this in society, uh, you take a snapshot in 1996, and then you take another snapshot in 2005, and something, somehow or other, without even noticing it, the styles and the and the and the colors and the and the and the fashions within front society of people who are conscious and focused on sneers—it's changed, and, and that's that's how it's meant to be. If you think about this, Khazal created a genius idea with dasuhotus, and this is Khazal wants to make it clear that there are there is a halachically binding concept of sneers, but they can't just give a list. In the Gemara of everything that a person can wear and can't wear, because that list will not be relevant in other places and at other times. And they need it to have relevance. It has to be relevant. It's not relevant and it's not its, it's not applicable. And therefore Chazal said that Das Yehudis is the mechanism through which organically these things can change in a, in a way which is authentic over time between societies. Now, don't get me wrong. There are objective red lines as well. It's not like everything's subjective. There's the Das Moshe, as you mentioned. There's the objective Das Yehudis, which is clear, which doesn't change, which is there in Shulchan Aruch. But beyond that, there's a lot that does. And I think that when you're asking about, you know, shirts and blue shirts and white shirts, this does change over time in an organic way. And, uh, and I think that there is a, you know, Clalliswell have a feel for this. Imlav Naveemheim, you know, Um and, uh, and, 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 and it really is quite contextual. I'll give you another example. Is it Tsanua uh, for a rav of a community to go jogging in the park wearing sweatpants? So I, I don't know, you can't answer that question yes and no. In many communities, it would be outrageous. It would be an enormous pizza in sneers that the rav's running around the park in sweatpants in other communities, it might be a cover. The RAV is leading the way in the mitzvah of protecting our health. We should all halavai. We were all you know, able to go jogging around the park and be more healthy. It really depends on the context. What if the RAV is in uh, in the, in a gym? Is that different? Should the RAV be wearing different clothes in the gym? And and let's use an extreme example the other way. Let's say the Rosh Hashiva goes to the gym and decides to go on the treadmill wearing a suit and tie and a hat. That's Sanua. That that itself is not Sanua. It's not the way you're meant to be on a treadmill. So you can't
1: just,
2: it's way it's strange. That by definition is, it, 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 and therefore you can't just apply, well, the more you wear, the more you are. It's, if it, you have to work out the context. It's extremely important. And as I said, it changes organically.
0: So let me delve into to that. It, it sounds like the dress, and we can talk about sports and athletics is contextual. If you're in the gym, if you're not in the gym, if you're doing this sport, if you're not doing this sport. So, so talk to us about short sleeves, Short pants, a tank tops, for example. All of this. How would that all play out? And in particular, if, if you live in a in a a more Sanuah community, if I'm if I'm in Lakewood, if I'm in Sanhedem or or something like that, the wearing of uh, clothing that is more revealing. How would that
2: play out? Right. So so first of all, um, as you introduced me, my area of chinuch is is with with women and with young women as well, and therefore. There are people who are working much more with young men, who uh, are definitely the people that that are more sensitised to what's wh- where the, the the pressures are and where the challenges are, and they need to definitely be in on this conversation and talking about what the young men are feeling. That's that's critical. But based on what we just discussed, uh, I think that making a, an authorised list of uh, this yes, this no, uh, tank tops no, uh, these short short sleeves yes, etc. That's that actually is just going to bring to the men. The same kind of problem that we already have with the women, and that's not the way to do it. Uh, you can't just make a, a list that this is okay and this is not okay. What I think you can do is try and encourage people to consider different factors. And, and maybe before I get into this, as we mentioned, this is an important point. Much of halacha is very objective and not subject to a, a kind of the consideration of different factors. You know, if the Ramban were teaching Hilchas Kashrus or Hilchas Shabbos to somebody, who was certain Hilchas Today in my seminary, he would teach that he could use the same syllabus that he he used in Egypt 800 years ago. Milk is milk, meat is meat, and, and treif is treif, and he could really just adapt the course in five minutes. If the Rambam if, if it comes to teach the, the laws of kibbutz and the laws of marriage, he he, better rethink the syllabus. It's not the same as it was in Fostat in in eleven eighty. It's just not. Some halachas are more, as Rebbechowitz put it, puts it, they're they're more mishpatim than chukim. Chukim are laws that are objects and they don't change. Mishpatim are laws that, that are the halachic, but they're more sensitivities. So so rather rather than giving a, a list of, of men's clothing that are in and out, I would say the following: people should be thinking the following: what's appropriate in a bike race is not the same as what's appropriate walking into a mall. And if you're sitting on a bike racing, that's one thing. If you decide to just go shopping wearing those clothes, that's not the same thing. Um, What's right for a 15-year-old is not correct for a 35-year-old and differently for a 55-year-old. I'm not going to give a list of what is and what isn't correct, but people have to think that through. What's correct for a member of a community may not be right for the Rav, often will not be right for the Rav. The Rambam talks about the fact that a Rav community leader has to have a de-dola. That's his phrase. they have to have an extra awareness of this. Um, and uh, Rav Moshe actually uh, stresses this as well. He talks about sneers for men in their chuva and, uh, and and he talks about the context. His words are Carl Markham Levifi Minhagri, which is a, which is a real really important point. And again that doesn't apply to everything. there are red lines and there are objective criteria. but but if you want to start sensitizing men to sneers rather than giving a list of do's and don'ts, you need to I think get people thinking in this value focused way as to what's right for me and what's right for the circumstances, et cetera, with guidance, obviously, uh, but I think that's the way to do it.
0: Very good. So, so Rabbi Manning, just to conclude, give us one sentence, one message that you would like to conclude with.
2: So I think that, uh, first of all, There is such a concept of sneers for men. The fundamental root of sneers applies equally to men and women. Um, And there are real sources for this that people need to be aware of. So education is the first level. Um, But then I think if you want to summarize it, I think men need to show certainly to women and to other men, but definitely to women, that they are serious about their own sneers. As you started saying, the people are often focused on women's sneers, and that's a legitimate focus in some situations, many situations. But men need to show that they're serious about their own sneers, their respect for their own dignity. And in that way, they can broaden that to respect for other people, other men and other women. And the whole conversation will move in a, in a much more healthy direction. Very good.
0: Thank you so much, Rabbi Manning. A pleasure having you on the show and uh, look forward to our next encounter together. Thank
2: you so much. Thank you, Rabbi Wassmer. It was a pleasure.
0: Joining us now is Rabbi Zvulen Schwartzman. Rabbi Schwartzman is the Rosh Kolal of Base Ulpana Romema Kolal Ziv Moshe. He is the grandson of the esteemed Rav Aaron Cutler, the founder of the Lakewood Yeshiva, and also the son of the revered Rav Dov Schwartzman. Rabbi Schwartzman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So Rabbi Schmortzman, we are talking about SNEAS and a uh, little bit less traveled. We're talking more about SNEAS of men than women. Despite that, I want to start off with a question uh, that applies to women, men, maybe both. And and I want to ask you your thoughts on the phrase Snias is for women as Talmud Torah is for men. Is there accuracy in this, that, that statement or is there not accuracy in that statement?
1: First of all, Torah is for everybody. Torah was given to all of Karim's and we all, every it's gender, not, I won't say neutral. It's gender inclusive. Torah is for for men and women. Or that is introduction to Matan Torah. It's everyone and the lives of every yid, every Jew, Jewess, every Hashem v'Shem Yisrael Yehuna, is is Torah. Haim Chayk, is includes all of us. How? We internalize Torah and how we express our relationship to Torah, and our lives of Torah. On that, there is the, the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. It has was given to men specifically. Women's chiv of Talmud Torah is more focused on different aspects of their chiv ha-mitzvahs, the hamitzvahs. but it's not again. Torah belongs to all of us, and tshnius is also. The way of life for every yid. Hatsni leches is, again, is gender-inclusive. To beat senua, what it entails, what you have to do to beat is, Sanua is a result of the differences that men, you all, you all created with specific. Specifically, zochon a cave of Baram. A man is a man, and a woman is a woman, and therefore, how we make things tenuah changes for for men and for women. How that sneeze is expressed. So, what you're saying that that's more the technicalities. Um, that tseus is expressed, and obviously, uh, the the damage that's done for women and for men in in a more general in, in general society by a lack of sneeze by women can can cause greater long-term damage. In general, even though for every person himself, his tzniyus is is, is, is is of utmost importance, and a person who doesn't have the concept of tzinius, and the life of tzniyus, his life is not imashmal HaShem Alekecho. it's not a, living a life, a Jewish life, a way of the life of a Yid, and that's equal to all. And therefore, I think the focus here should be on the meaning of tzniyus, and specifically, those the, the general issues of sneis that we all have to have, and maybe with some sense, it's more less spoken, less understood. We'll talk about the the male sneis. Sneis, okay. So when it comes
0: to a man, and is oftentimes a vague concept. It's an amorphous concept. Is this something that can be clearly defined? When does it apply? How does it apply? Is it ashkafah? Is it alacha? And let's let's uh, as you, as you mentioned, let, let's apply that specifically to men.
1: Tzniyus is not a question of hashkafa or halokha. It's a question that's all-encompassing of what a it's about. And actually, let's look at the Pasek of Micho. He gido l'cha'odom What's good? What's good for women? Ma Hashem derish we What's the Demand, expect from us. Ki im asoi smishpat va'av hasheset v'hatsnei leches im Hashem alekecho. Now, just like asoi mishpat, you're going to ask me, is it or halokha? is that a person should be just righteous and just is what a person should be. Obviously, it's the Ashkafer, <laughs> and it has it. And it's halach, ramifications are endless. So, too, v'avaz chesed. That's what a person should be, oiv chesed. these halach, it's chiyun, it's a mitzvuv, but it's a That's what it's all about. It's a klagodl v'toivah. And the third, the third aspect is v'hatsnei leches. V'hatsnei leches im HaShem u'lekecho. And, the concept of a hatsne leches and Hashem olam the wording could be interpreted two ways: hatsne leches with with Hashem olam or if you are hatsne leches, then you could be with Hashem olam Then you're with. Then you're with. With so Hashem olam kecho. someone who's not a hatsne leches, who who he, he's only whatever. I am what you see. I am. What the status on the Facebook is, excuse me, <laughs> I am with the status on the Facebook He's not a Leches, so he exists not a Hashem Alekecha. His existence is the amount of likes he got. Who is he? The amount of likes he received. Leches, a person whose Metsius is is what's inside, what's in, what's what's in him, and he determines what's value and what's meaning, and that's that's what he is, then he could be a mashemol. Now we could ask the question, therefore, so what difference does it make what he how he dresses, how he looks, what he does. What difference does it make? I know what's inside me is good. This is very simple. The reason why a person would want to to show off how muscular he is, how fancy his house is, how how his physical strength. I mean and I want to degrade how great his physical his physical ability is to show show that off. He's trying to say, look, Look how good I, look, this is me. Because if he, the the person himself is what he understands, what he perceives, what he, what his moral obligations are, what his relationship is, his meaningful relationship to people is, then these things are a camouflage. These things are really not expressing anything. These things just say, <laughs> that's, that's all it's saying. So he's really he's really saying that this is me. The, the outside
0: I'm an outside
1: I'm, I'm I'm outside this is what I am and if I'm not outside I'm nothing and therefore if you're not going to recognize what I am I don't exist. Uh-huh. So, so if, if
0: we apply that, so also it has an impact. I mean, the chinuch says uh, Adam yeah. nifal So the the outside if, if impacts the inside. So you can hear a beautiful panemius on the outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but they, they go but, together. But
1: the 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 outside, what he means to say is, I want you to know that this this you have to know about me because I, I need you should know this about me. You know, that if you don't notice my whereas the idea of a hatsne leches is, if I sneusef, if I don't show off my physical ability, my worldly possessions, my all the pleasures in life that I could have. So I'm saying the, the person that I present myself, and that's a, a lavush Nuah says, the person I present myself is the person that relates, that speaks. It's interesting. In all of Tzni, is the, the the one part of the person that remains open is a person's face. Where is Khakmas Otum Toyapanov where I express with the face, every, even the, the physical expression of the face by a person of value, the chokmas adam, the unseen person, shines in his face, and includes also his his actual intellectual ability, including his his willingness to know how his caring, his willingness, how much he's, he can show. Empathy, worry, sympathy, empathy, every, all care. That, right? That's, the the, the horosponding expresses the inside of a person. That's the place, that's the mm. place that's left it's open.
0: Very nice. So, so let, let's talk about the lavouche then, let's divide up. So when it comes to lavouche, and, and we're seeing interesting styles nowadays, That if you go into certain stores, you can't even find a normal pair of pants. You need a shoehorn not to only get into shoes, but you need a shoehorn to get into pants nowadays. And it happens to be I've been told in certain neighborhoods in Yerushalayim you walk by and there are yeshiva bachers that are wearing these pants. So what 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 are the thoughts on on these uh, excessively tight pants that look more like stockings and bike clothing? And how 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 does how, how does this I mean this is reflective. You're saying this is a bigger issue than just halacha. It's bigger than just a shkafa. It's it's both. It's
1: more. How would we think about the the current styles? Okay. Before we go further, there are serious halachic aspects about certain stuff of men wearing exceptionally tight clothing especially wearing especially tight pants which is not just sneers it's a question of like the mission tells us a need that a man has to not cause sensations that w- that brings a person to the thought that he's not allowed to have since physical sensations not as part of as part of his relationships that are a key mitzvah his person is not allowed, to, not allowed to bring them out and not allowed to any any clothing is this is a lot that actually that's tight enough that just keeps rubbing on on his bottom parts is awesome. is awesome. awesome. A person should not be wearing such clothing. That that's tight to the point that it's uh, that that will constantly bring out sensation. That but that's beyond the question of sneeze itself. But but obviously the when a person, any time a person wears tight clothing, I mean, if a person is, is a little uh, lymph and he has no uh, no muscles and he's like looks like a skeleton, he's not going to wear tight clothing. To show his bones, to see how, to see where his bones are, no one wears tight clothing for that. If anything, to wear large or baggy clothing, you shouldn't realize that little skeleton that's in there. The, the reason a person wears tight clothing, how muscular he is, I mean, it's not particularly a man, how muscular he is, how, how masculine. In other words, he's trying to tell you, we, whereas the concept of clothing, we, levush, levush has a dual meaning, the, word, the, the, the concept of lavouche. Lavouche means, loybush, not to be embarrassed. First place, lavouche is introduced in the Torah, that uh, when J.B. made uh, clothing for Ottoman Chava, after they descended to the level of human existence that the world exists on, it says, shoshu. Because a person who's uh, an utterman, who's, who's meant to be itzel malakim, that is, his values, his meaning, his, in, his intellectual perceptions of, of greater meaning, and, and willing to live that, is in a way contradicted by his physicality. Because his physicality is... It can do by his physicality. The physicality of a person who's an adam who, who was like Adam was intended to be. His physicality expressed his humanity, his real, his tzuras adam. Our physicality, the fact that it's an expression of tzuras is something that's that we can never show on the outside. It's the same foot, it's the same this, it's the same that. It's the same. It's the same physicality as as an animal. It's just in the fact that its meaning. We do it in a different way. We use it in a different way. We 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 express it as an expression of of a re- of of real relationship and of. And and, and of, of, of mitzvah Hashem and and of the greatest level of 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 caring of caring that's weird that's weird because it's the expression of of Adam. so therefore in order to say that the my so I'm saying that's a double mutzah I I'm I'm covering up that i I'm embarrassed. By thinking of me the same as you think of of all other physical creatures mm-hmm. that's like right. but then it has another a greater meaning the Guru explains in a lot of places that the concept of person is his meters his character like it says uh, that uh, mm-hmm. the person gives him respect the real meaning of that is the person's character The it says that that no matter which way you turn his lavush it will always be correct what it means is that the character is expressed is how the is what's expressed in how a person interacts with other people you see his character right mm-hmm. that's a character doesn't just mean my, my good or my positive or negative feelings if i have kindness a character of kindness that expresses itself so the lavush is the character of a person how it expresses itself. It's, it's a, an announcement. An announcement. It's an announcement. It's an announcement. The sneeze that I think I'm covering up the things that, if that will be announced, you, you look at me as, as, as an, like, like an animal. Other than can behave. When I, when you say a person, let's say a a, a man who's, who's dressed, who, who's well-dressed. No, not, what, what, what do you say? He's sophisticated. This is He's a gentleman. He's sometimes clothed. his own. This is a an important person. Why do you say that? Because the clothing said bring out like that the man whose whose head sticks out of those clothing is a man who the clothing are just to bring out to show this is this is a man who what he what he says, what he thinks, and what he does is really that's the real expression. Uh, so, so basically he's dignified. He's dignified. He's dignified. Dignity is not a question, it's not a physicality. You know, he, will never say this is a dignified table the person, the table makes the person sitting behind that table dignified
4: mm,
0: very good very good so let's apply that now because uh, we may have a little bit of a rub now that somebody has a dignified house a very large house dignified beautiful house so at what point do we say it's dignified and which at what point do we say that it is past the realm of dignity and sneers to be undignified
1: Dignified, so that is back. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll go back to the, the to the clothing to the to the, to the of a person. The real lavush of a person is how he expresses himself. How you see his how you see the person. What he is towards other people. The clothing of a person is supposed to say that it's not my particular physical attributes. My hand is this way, but I'm a person who who has shows a certain fineness at my certain fine refine. And therefore, when I, when I talk, when I say something, this is someone who, who looks like the way, what he says. He looks like, like the autumn that, that we expand to express. For example, you have a very, person person's dressed very dignified and refined and he opens his mouth and he, mm-hmm. the wrong things <laughs> come the, out. The wrong things come out. So it, it, it's almost like, it's like, it contradicts the clothing that what's inside and that, that's expressed in his speech. This is the whole character of the person. And the most outer manifestation of that is clothing. That's why, for example, Chazal always tells us that all the mitzvahs a person does in this world, all the outer acts a person does in this world, becomes a lavush, a, a, an expression of, of what, uh, in, in the person's real existence in olam haba. Right, so if, if we apply that then to
0: other externalities, you, you, okay. you were recently in los angeles so we can talk <laughs> about cars or if we talk about i, I shouldn't mention cities i I'll tell you have you, been in a little city you've been in los, los angeles, angeles that you i were, was in you,
1: was, no, what i saw was was you, you were in the cola you, you were i was in, um, I was in one coil, a second coil uh, in link and uh, in people what should i tell you I don't know if people know it. I, I happened to visit twice in what was known as Rabbi like shoe. Yeah, well, I wasn't talking about the from Jews. I was
0: talking about everyone else, the cars, the cars, not us. We'll talk about them. It's always easier. <laughs> Lakewood, I understand, is a little bit diff, more difficult to talk about them because um, it's mostly us there. So, so we'll avoid. Because I understand you have a little bit of a connection to Lakewood, um, a little bit. But, but uh, how many yeah. children are living in Lakewood right now? So, so. But, but if we talk about Clothing or or uh, houses, mansions, okay. etc. Uh, what, what what are the ramifications
1: of this? by the way, there's a very interesting shlosh that talks about people of wealth and means who who live who have who live well who live well and, and live in, in great comfort, large houses and this. He he says that if you live in chutzlorts, this in and extravagance. Express itself in the way, and we, what we call in America, make it's a statement. My house making a statement. A house is who's making a statement is you're stating to someone else, right? It's, it's a statement. I mean, I made a statement and I put it in my drawer, no one ever saw it. It's not a statement. i right? stating something, right? That's uh, that's our
0: announcement.
1: It's my announcement that my announcement my announcement is this is my castle. This is this express, you know, my this luxury, and this is my castle is something that. That a, that a that a person is stating that this this is my real home. This is my real home. This this is my place in this world. The person is not supposed to make such statements in we're Part of making that statement is because my living in Etsesol is part of my living in the world of the Rebbeinu Shleimon, and therefore everything I have is part of my way of saying this is this is where everything I have here is part of what. I relate to the Rebbeinu with because because that's what I, that's the real meaning of living in Eretz Yisrael. Then it may be permissible again under circumstances when the lifestyle in Eretz Yisrael, as we hope soon come, should is an expression of what didn't she, of not of when will we'll get over the Gula mentality. And uh, and the Gula mentality is that every there's, there's everything and it's as plentiful and meaningful. but All that plentifulness is a place. With which we're relating to the right. the house of a person it doesn't have to be saying it's Satan that it's a place that expresses poverty and discomfort but it expresses it up, the house expresses when I see the south this is a place to be able to do certain things in be have to function in a certain way my house is a house where when you saw when you walk in you see the house yes this is a house where the life of an al which is focused about about is that's what I see in the house. That's what it says. And the 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 place where, where I sit alone with my children, where we eat as soon as Shabbos, and where we do things. It's that's what the house is saying. The house expresses what we are doing. That's okay. Each one in his level. But when it goes beyond that, it's, it's just extravagance, you know. I there's nothing of elam that that doesn't belong in my house. And that's it. The same. Then, then we have a problem. That's that's us not sneers. Yes, definitely a person of of greater means. His the way he does his avodas Hashem. The way he does. He, the way he uses his, his life to be to be an El-Hayyid is different. When the Torah talks about eating in a we permissible to eat meat. Not just for Kobonus. When the Torah introduces the Heptah, we going to actually swallow to eat meat. Not just for Kobonus, That meat is permissible to eat. Not just for korbanos. That's good. it. It says Kiach of Hashem is When the Torah will, will broaden your, I mean, literally it means your boundaries, but it means your 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 physical, your horizons. The I, 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 need, I need meat. Uh the s You eat meat. You could, you could eat meat you could eat meat and obviously everything a person is supposed to eat everything you do when you eat is in order to be able to function as a yid is supposed to function. But Rashi says something very Pai a Person should not have should, should not lust, I literally translate lust, or have a, a, a tremendous desire to eat meat only as it's affordable. Meaning to say this, obviously if a person needs things beyond his knees and, and he, I must have this, I must have that, I must have that. So obviously he, he's obsessed and focused around his fulfilling certain physical desires. And this person is is obviously not going to be able to use his physical life for a greater purpose, and, and, and the purpose of being what he is supposed to be. Whereas, Mitoiach hachobah that a person who could afford it. And I can could afford it, I mean, this is, it's natural and normal for him. So the terrorist says, you're not supposed to say no, Yochiev is not, no, I will eat only pas I, I won't eat anything else, because I could do away without it. No, if this is what you need in your situation, if it's not if it's not a, an indulgence and this is what you need you a lot to do it because you could incorporate it in your in your being a person and being a yid and being a relationship
0: so so the concept is within reason then? within, within, within reason, reason right. based, based on, right, right. on functionality you know, you know, based on your needs based right. on your practicality practicality
1: obviously there's always my Drake is a to the person who is in in greater levels of type of a person to be able a to enter of but that, that's that's something that's not that's a question of a person growing as, a person grows to the point that he's he's, he's a chassid and he's uh, I mean see this is not in the terms of being a chassid or a muslim, he's he has a he has a higher level and he's, he's a level of 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 of, of, of warning of uh, and there's nothing else he wants like there's madrigus that's, that's something else, but but a person within reason and not and not and the reason for it has to be not because I want people, anyone else to see. Look, look how luxurious my house is. Look how luxurious my food is. Look how luxurious the clothing is. Look how luxurious the house is. Look how fancy everything is. That itself, that's priestess in the worst sense. But that a person that. that when you see the person doing this as reasonable and does it in a reasonable way and not, not to show it off, then he could incorporate it into his asayis mishpat and being a, per, uh, a balanced person who could be the proper, leadership. Oh, thank you. Uh, Rabbi
0: Schwartzman. I want to thank you so much for joining us. It really gives us a lot to think about, about the practicality, needs, necessities, and maybe a little more, but uh, not going overboard, <laughs> not expanding our boundaries gvulekha, too much. <laughs> thank you so much. Joining us now is Mrs. Bracha Deutsch. Mrs. Deutsch is a Haredi marathon runner. She has won a number of marathons, including the brutal Yerushalayim marathon. I say brutal because of the hills. At least I think it's brutal. I think it's brutal just walking to Shul, which is just a few blocks away. <laughs> uh, but but she typically runs the entire 26 plus miles in around now two and a half hours, something like that. I, 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 I'm amazed by that. Originally from Passaic, she lives in Harnov, has five kids and even ran one marathon while seven months pregnant. Mrs. Deutsch, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I actually did move out of Harnoff, but I still live in Aretz Israel.
0: Okay, very good. Don't go don't leave Aretz Israel. So, so when did you start racing? Has this been a lifelong passion? Or is this a more recent?
3: No, it's coming up on my six-year anniversary of my very first marathon. Um, I would say that I love sports my whole life, but I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I'd get to pursue sports as a career. And it's not even something that you know I ever pictured myself being able to do.
0: Wow, well, very interesting. It's more recent. That's interesting. So you're running long races. And obviously you get steamed up, you get hot when you're running races. So that's not easy. I I know I had read a little bit about Michael Phelps, who was the, uh, the famous swimmer. And the amount of effort that they put in to reducing any friction that you have swimming through the pool. So you want to have as little clothing as possible. What clothing do you wear when you're racing?
3: Um yes, yeah, so I I wear a tichel because I cover my hair. When I'm married. I wear long sleeves or sleeves to my elbow, typical I mean three-quarter sleeves. I wear a skirt. I wear leggings that cover my knees and um yeah, my, you know, everything. All the regular halachic um Guidelines of Tineas apply when I'm running as well.
0: (laughs) So you're running marathons, the Yushalayim Marathon. What other marathons have you participated in?
3: Um, I'm the three-time national marathon champion of the Tavaria Marathon. And I've run the Berlin Marathon, which was going to be a great race, but I unfortunately got Corona in the middle of that. I ran a marathon in England, and I'm training now for a marathon in Seville in Spain
0: getting out there, getting out there. So it's not like you're running Haredi marathons. I think you would probably be the only participant in the Haredi marathon. Have you done any research or do you have any estimates on the amount of time you could shave off? Because that's what it's about shaving off. I cut out a half a minute this time. I cut out a minute this time. I cut out 45 seconds this time. If you would change your dress, if you would go in shorts and uh, short sleeves and no head covering, Do, do you have a concept of how much you could take off of your time?
3: So I don't have it. It's not an exact science. I remember when I felt it like most significantly, where I was like running um, an 800 meter, which is a really short distance. And I've I've done, you know, I've been able sometimes to run just on my own and like either on a treadmill or like somewhere secluded, um, you know, with, with just shorts and a tank top. And I saw such a big difference. And I was like, even for an 800 meters, I almost felt like I could cut like two seconds. And then you apply that to the marathon. It felt like it could be like two to two to three minutes, which, which is really huge. And people don't realize, but like every second matters when you're running at the elite level. So it's definitely something that I like, you know, am aware <laughs> would would make a difference.
0: Uh, so have you ever been tempted to make that change? Like the rest of the racers, I mean, there's no one else dressing like you out there. So so you're, you're, you're competing against everyone who has effectively a competitive advantage against you. So have you ever been tempted? Let me just this race, this is a big race. Let me just uh, make a change and and uh, do away if i'm in berlin no one's watching anyway
3: so has that, that- <laughs> um i would say like you know i I, can, I it doesn't actually seem like a possibility because at this point I have my reputation and I have my standards, but I would say in the middle of races where I've been like, I've had moments where I've been so hot and every part of my clothing sticking to me.
0: Have there been any times that a rules, the rules of the race didn't permit you to dress this way? There, do they have requirements about dress or whatever you want to race in is, is permitted?
3: Um, so running races, marathons typically don't have any rules other than like specific rules about what sponsors are on your shirt if you do a triathlon which i have participated in a triathlon they have more specific rules namely like your wetsuit is supposed to only come to your elbow but they didn't seem to mind i i wore a wetsuit with a skirt and i just like added some sleeves so went a little bit past my elbow and no one said anything to me so Uh, it seemed to work out
0: triathlon is, is which three sports
3: a triathlon is swimming biking and running
0: swimming biking and running and the, for the bike what did you wear
3: also i just running? i basically i wore the same thing the entire time i wore i wore the same yeah i wore my skirt i would say that it's a lot harder riding you don't feel it riding the skirt but it's like harder to actually keep the skirt covering your legs while you're riding <laughs> it's uh-huh. an R. <laughs> um, i never i don't compete in triathlon right now at all i did one i did a half ironman for fun spontaneously and actually came in first in my age group in Israel, but I don't do it just, you know, regularly
0: at all. I mean, you have an interesting concept of fun is is, uh, is doing
3: it. Um. <laughs> I definitely do. It was the first time, though, when I participated in that race and I saw people like for, for regular people also. It was a really long time and this was only a half Ironman. And I'm like, suddenly it occurred to me. I'm like, we're all crazy. Like, why are we doing this to ourselves? We're crazy.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, have you yes. ever gotten any comments from competitors about your dress? Like you're showing up at at the uh, at, at the starting line and uh, people looking at you?
3: Um, no, you know, no one's ever said anything like to me at all, even though I always know I look the most interesting of the start line. I've said, if anything, I've gotten like positive comments. Like I remember when I was running in Cape Town, like people were saying, cheering on the streets and they're like lady in the skirt like it was like so unbelievable to them you know because i'm one of the elite runners in the skirt and they were like like happy excited about that like i got a few comments like that
0: well that's interesting now now that's from competitors or people on the street how about the secular media this is a an anomaly obviously and especially in israel where they they uh, have a little bit more sensitivity about why you're dressing like that so what what has the feedback been
3: I think that most people, you know, really think it's it's they're impressed that I'm committed to my values and that it's not something I'm willing to compromise on. I tend to get questions from the Israeli media more about, oh, how does my community view me? Because they always want to say, like, oh, you know, you must be an outlier and they probably don't like what you're doing. And and I always say I have a very supportive community. I have rabbis who support me, like everything I'm doing, you know, is is really I, I've seen, especially even in the six years that I've been running, I've seen a tremendous like increase in women running modestly, and people tell me that also that they'll go to races in Israel and they'll see more women running in skirts, or they'll be in the park, and um, it really makes me like proud and happy that you know to be part of that.
0: Now, you, you, this isn't only racing for that two and a half hours, which is grueling, but training day in day out, day in, day out. So what, what gives you the, the, the mental strength to, to persevere? And I, what I want to try to get at is, is to apply that to the rest of us who are more human than you are. When we're trying to persevere during Seder and we get tired, we're trying to persevere for 12 hours and we just want to say, I've had enough. But what keeps you going doing this activity?
3: So the amazing thing about endurance sport and why I love it so much is that I find it's such a powerful tool for life because you really train your mind to be able to, you know, withstand discomfort and to continuously stretch yourself past what you thought capable. And for me, there's so many different, you know, tools and tricks that I employ, but I, I, I'm always continuously blown away <laughs> by things that I thought or perceived, you know, didn't feel like I could actually do. When I just said to myself, okay, like you can get through this. Like it's just one step at a time or one rep at a time or just a little bit further or reminding myself that like this, these moments are where you actually change yourself. You become what you're striving to get. And like only by going through that discomfort, can you get there? And, and then I'll finish a workout and I'm just like literally shocked that I did it because, you know, I had moments there where I was really fighting and struggling to hang on. And I think that we underestimate how capable we are. And I always say, you know, why do the seconds matter? Like, why do I care? Why am I going after like, you know, I'm running two thirty one eighteen. like I want every second. And it's because in those moments, you define yourself, those seconds are not about your seconds of your time. But in every moment that you choose, like you're struggling to persevere through a Seder, when you choose to overcome that feeling of fatigue, that is a character building moment, those choices that you make, that's who you that's nitrius. That's the only thing that you take to the next world. I always say that. And and that's the truth. And like, when you learn to savor that, and like really applaud yourself for it, it becomes even more something that you're striving to do and it becomes easier.
0: So w- walk me through that process over time. It, it, I would guess that it, it, as you grow through this, there's a progression of I'm getting step by step and w- where I am today is more than yesterday and where I am today is certainly more than three days ago and a year ago. That, is that the mental conditioning that I can do things that I couldn't do a number of weeks ago, a number of months ago?
3: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I always say like, you need to be able to congratulate yourself on the teeniest bit of progress. Because if you don't, if you're not able to recognize those teeny tiny steps, then you're going to easily give up, you're going to feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm not moving anywhere. And we're, as humans, like we always want like instant gratification, and we want like big results immediately. But that's not really how life is. And so when you begin to notice and appreciate the teeniest, tiniest steps of progress, like I remember the first time I ran a 200 meters in under 30 seconds, sub 30. Now, previously, the week before, I had run it in like 30.2, 0.2 of a second. Like a, we're talking about like a millisecond here, but for my coach, that wasn't sub 30. Like it wasn't enough. So when I ran sub 30, I felt like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like I worked six months to do this. And every single little step that you can congratulate, like- recognize for yourself is going to give you that positive feedback and your brain is also going to like register that so you're going to want to keep working and you're going to be more excited about you know the things that are hard you're going to know that this is getting you closer towards who you want to be
0: as you were speaking I, I remembered something that i heard from dr abraham twersky ollova shalom and he would talked about once that people typically hate discomfort And as soon as they feel discomfort, they don't feel, well, let me take a Tylenol, let me take an Advil. Discomfort is terrible, pain is terrible. And and he recalls that he walked into a dentist's office and on the couch there or on the table there, there was a newspaper or a magazine that said, how do lobsters grow? And his first thought was, who cares how lobsters grow? And then he thought about it a little bit longer. And he said, that's a really interesting question. How do lobsters grow? Because they very, have a very strong shell, a hard shell. And when the lobster grows, how do they get out of that? How do they? So he started reading it. And it said that when a lobster is feeling tension, pain, pressure from the outer shell that goes to the bottom of the ocean, it sheds that shell and it grows a larger one. And he learn from that, that it's only through the pain and discomfort that you actually have growth. And people typically want to avoid the pain and discomfort. And by virtue of that, they're avoiding the growth. And and what you're saying to me is exactly what he was saying. If you embrace it, obviously it has to be healthy discomfort and pain. It can't be unhealthy. Um, That's something that we grow from. And the same, it seems that we can apply in our stamina, in our learning, our stamina, in building our midos, our stamina in building who we are, that discomfort indeed is something that could be positive and train us to be more versatile and to grow from from what we're growing through.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I also always tell myself, like, when it is uncomfortable, I'm like, it's just a feeling pain is just a feeling like you could either in your mind say, Oh my gosh, this is way too hard for me. This is not so I can't handle or you could just choose to like, nope, this is exactly where I need to be right now to get, to become who I want to be and embrace it. So being able to do that, like, I love seeing how things that I thought were like, that felt too hard or that were too painful, like become easier and easier over time.
0: Interesting. If I can ask a personal question, running a marathon, two and a half, three hours, brutal. What's harder running (laughs) a marathon or mothering for three hours?
3: I literally always say being a mother is harder any day, any day. It's just so much patience all the time. It's being like on your game, being conscious of your responses. I mean, I also, I enjoy running a lot. So I love being a mother also, but I find, you know, it's draining. It's really draining.
0: And no, nobody talks back to you when you're jogging.
3: No, no one. <laughs> you <and> exactly. <laughs>
0: Let's get back to to the clothing discussion. You know, there there are people that are playing sports and doing these activities and it could be the boy who's playing basketball and he wants to take his keep off wants to take his shirt off. And that's not the minug of wherever he's from, he, but he's uncomfortable. So it could be the woman who wants to draw jog scantily, you know, where wherever it may be in her community, or it could be the man that's involved in a, a given activity, a sporting activity, and he can dress one way and uh, be a little bit less comfortable or a little bit less stylish, or he can dress in a more stylish way and uh, fit in more with the sport. What's your message to those people? Because they're having, the same thoughts in their mind when you're in the middle of a marathon thinking, this is just too much. What's your message to them when they're having that desire to follow the Yatzer and, and uh, go with the, the less proper attire?
3: So I think at the end of the day, it's so important to remember who we are at our core. Like sport is incredible. Sport's a wonderful tool. You know, I'm pursuing sport at the highest level, but I always know that my I am a telem. I have a piece of Hashem inside of me. I am a telem elokim. I am dignified, and that's what I want to convey to the world. And if you if you keep that very close to you, if you know that you're a walking, you're like a walking piece of a Kadosh Baruch Hu, Like those things, those questions, those feelings of oh, this is too hard. Like they kind of slip away because like that is, and I also say, you know, and it's so easy when you, when you work hard as an athlete to get very caught up in the mindset of like, oh my gosh, I worked so hard. And that's why I had these results. Like that's the, you know, immediate uh, thought process. And it's true. I put in a tremendous amount of work to achieve what I want as an athlete, but I know by for me, dressing modestly, reminds me that really none of this is mine is Hashem is the source of my strength and the whole mida. like I feel like it's not just our clothing it's a it's a character trait that we want to live with that we want to embody in all areas of our life it's humility and it's knowing who is ultimately responsible for everything we have here and everything that everything we have is a gift and a Baruch Hu is the one who gives it to us so to me when you live with that and know that, then the question of, of modesty, like it, it goes away. And like I said before, every choice you make here, if it's if it's hard for you, uh, tr- that's a choice, right? Where you're choosing a little bit slightly past your comfort zone. Those choices are um, elevating your neshama. And that's what you take with you to the next world. And... Um, just if, if I'm someone who's like trying to make it to the Olympics in, you know, modest clothing, I have faith that you can do it in all areas of sport that you choose to pursue.
0: And <laughs> yeah, just to build one one concept out, this is the case, and we kind of said it, but I, I just want to kind of rehash it, that this applies even, in, even more so, those ca- concepts, if you're the only one out there, meaning everyone may be dressing in a certain way, in an appropriate way, but you're opting out of that. And the same klalim that you had in mind that you just mentioned is, is, uh, is the same klalim that you're going to apply when it's only you out there. Everyone is on in the bike race and dressing in a certain way, and you're going to dress otherwise, as you did. Or everyone is running, and you're going to dress otherwise. And it's still the same thought of, I have to dress properly. I'm a tzallam al I have to maintain my standards, even if everyone else is going in the other direction.
3: Yeah, 100%. And I take pride in that. And it's something that it's never crossed. I don't think that we need to live our lives worrying about what other people are doing. You need to live your life knowing that you're making the right choices that, you know, you're not compromising on the values that are important to you. So that's always what I think. And I always say, if you respect yourself, then other people respect you. And this dressing like this is about dignity and self respect. And I 100% have seen it like people really do respect what I'm doing from all backgrounds from all areas, even if they don't understand it. And that's something I always say when I speak to students and kids who maybe it's hard for them to even go somewhere in it with a yarmulke. I say if you know that what you're doing is right, and you're proud of it, people will feel that and they'll be in awe of you because you're standing up to something higher.
0: Mrs. Joyce, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us on the show and hatslacha uh, on all the future races.
3: Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Joining us now is Rabbi Dr. Jeremy Weeder. Rabbi Weider is a Rosh Yeshiva at Ritz and is also a professor of Tanakh. He has numerous degrees, including a PhD in Judaic studies from New York University. Rabbi Weider, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much. So, R- Rabbi Weider, we always, always hear about Tznias, and we always think about Tznias as uh, being defined as the dress of a woman. But I want to take a step back, not make that assumption. And I'd love to hear from you. I know you have a lot of bikias in, in, in Tanakh and, and Talmud. What's the source for the concept of Tznias? And, and fundamentally, what's
4: it referring to? So the most explicit formulation uh, is the Nabi Micha, the Hatznei Lechas which is to walk modestly with God. Uh, but that is a very homiletic in nature. It's worth noting at the same time that the Gemara at the end of Makos says, describing the progression of 613 mitzvot and how various Neviim distill the, the mitzvos into their essence. So the Gemara says that, the v'hamidon al-shlosha which means that Hatznei uh, Halachas is the third of those. It means that it's a core value that one would expect to be reflected, not just madrashically, but in Halacha as well. And I'll come back to that uh, hopefully later. Uh, if I had to define Sneus, uh, the best way of describing it is a friend of mine who was in Chinuch says that Sneus is keeping what's private, private. Um, in the Gemara's language, the opposite of Tzino, uh, of private, is Parhesya, is something done in public. And the opposite of snua might be a Prutza. Um, the Targum, interestingly enough, always uses for the word, to put aside, to put away, to leave. He uses the word, uh, for example, when it comes to the big day, Kohen Gadol, when he's done on on Yom Kippur, it says, and the Chachamim say, they're never used again. They're put into Geniza. And the Targum is, so means keeping things out of the public eye, keeping things private. There's a very interesting um, seeming contradiction between the Gemara Bava Mitzia talks about uh, So generally, we require simonim. Someone has to identify without seeing the object. They have to identify its features so that you return it. But a tamachacham is believed to look at the object and say, that's mine. I recognize it. We trust him that he's not going to lie. But the Gemara says, Shmuel says that there are... The characteristic of such a tamachacham, not every tamachacham, is a person who only doesn't tell the clear truth when it comes to three things, masachta Purya, and Ushpiza. masachta means how much he knows. Purya refers to his intimate life, that we would certainly expect. And Ushpiza is the person who hosts him. He doesn't go around telling people how wonderful it is because everybody's going to go run and want to sort of mooch off that person. I, heard,
0: of- I heard in see that the, the mnemonic for that is MS. Interesting. Masechta,
4: masachta and Tashmish. Interesting. So the the common denominator of these three things is, is really about privacy. What's interesting is that the Gemara in Shabbos quotes Rabbi Yochanan with the same question, and he says, means someone who makes sure to wear his garment properly. He wears it not inside out, but he wears the inside in and the outside out. Now, on the surface, it seems to be very strange, two completely different definitions. But I think when you drill down, Rabbi Yochanan is essentially saying the same thing as Shmua. It's a metaphor. Keeping the inside of your garment in, as opposed to inside out, is the part that's supposed to not be showing to the world, is not showing to the world. And uh, someone who's makbarah chaluk means he put it on wrong, the inside is showing, he turns around and he changes his garment. The me'ibi, in fact, goes further and he makes a very interesting and astute observation that the chaluk is not an outer garment, the chaluk is an inner garment, meaning nobody sees it except for you. And nonetheless, a person who's put that inside out, should uh, a chacham who was a even on that, is the real chacham that you would turn an Aveda to, even though the Tznias is totally internally directed. It, it brings to mind the, um, the Shulchan Aruch in the second siman of Arachayim writes that when a person is in his own home alone, he's still not supposed to walk around unclothed. He shouldn't say, Al er hadar mi he shouldn't say that I'm in private. Nobody sees me. <speaking in Hebrew> so Tznius is first directed towards the outside world. It's keeping what's private, private, so nobody else sees it. But it's also interdirected. We're supposed to have a sense of privacy, even when nobody is looking.
0: So we have that duality of it's not only for the outside; it's for me as well, and it's yes. not only about Kimchi's and her her uh, hair being seen inside the house, but it's for apparently for men as well.
4: Correct. There's no uh, uh, there's no distinction between men and women when it comes to sneeze.: Uh huh. Okay. So it,
0: interesting. It, it sounds like right now this is a, a somewhat amorphous concept. Uh, of not showing the inside out, the outside in. It applies to men, women, but we don't have a a, a formal definition, a quantifiable concept of what SNEAS is, but it applies to men and women.
4: Yes, I I do think it's worth point out one thing, and I, I hope later we'll talk a little bit about halacha, or halacha that's rooted in Sineas, but there is a danger to talking about things only through the prism of halacha. Um, there is a, a kind of narrowness. The Gemara in Bava Metzia points out that ela din torah. And the Gemara explains what that means is Yushalayim was destroyed because they only insisted upon Din Torah, not and And when you try to live that way, it destroys the world physically. That's why Yushalayim was destroyed. Everybody insisted on what's mine is mine, Midas Sadin in. That's true in the world of Choshen Mishpat, in civil law, in the world of Kedusha, in the world of Yeradein or Chaim. So there, a person who insists by living only by the letter of the law is a novel B'Shoshes and that destroys a world spiritually. Halacha is often a minimum. It's not the desired end. The Halacha is a series of trees, but genuine Torah observance is supposed to be a forest. Um, that might even be the connection, I, I, I thought, Alpid rush between returning an Aveda betvias ayin versus simanim. Uh, Tvias simanim means I identify a series of features. I want to describe your, you. I want to describe your face. Your nose looks like this. Your ear looks like that. Your eyes look like this. You're this tall. You're you're, 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 you're skinny. You're not skinny. Whatever it is, um, and that it's a, it's a description. It might be accurate. Metfias ayin is you look at a person and you know exactly who you're looking at, right? A Chacham is someone who, 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 ayin. he sees the broader picture. He doesn't just see an individual laws. I check this box, I check that box, I check the other box. I'm Yod No, that's not the way it works. Halacha is the minimum, but a person is supposed to build a forest, not just have trees. So it's true that there's no Hilchos Snios specifically, you know, that encompasses every part of life laid out in detail. Um, but but that's because Snios is supposed to inform everything we do. It's a value system that underpins everything, um, and it's, it's sort of the, the gaps between the trees that makes the entire forest.
0: I can't define it, but when I see it, I get it.
4: Uh, that, that is often accurate in this context, yes.
0: Hi. Uh-huh. You know, interestingly, I know you have a lot of Bikias in, in Tanakh. You've been learning Tanakh, uh, Bikias, and Ian for, for 40 years, I understand. So if you look at Tanakh, and, and I try to learn Tanakh, and, and uh, some of it goes more smoothly than others, and offline, I'd love, love to get some Eitzahs on how to get through some of the more, more difficult Sparim. Um, but we'll talk about that at a different time. If you look through Nivim, Nivim, Rishonim, Nivim, Achronim, there are various hot buttons that call Yisrael seem to recurringly violate. And, and for example, what comes to mind is Avodah that's a big one, or Chilul Shabbos, Bein Adam Lechavero, the lack of honesty and ethical dealings. Nowadays, there's a lot of talk about nias and modesty, especially regards to women, we're focused more on men here, If you look throughout Tanakh, do you see breaches by qualities or is this something more uh, modern and contemporary that we're having challenges with with uh, with with Tanias, uh, maybe because of the more uh, secular norms that we deal with?
4: I think when you look in Tanakh, you don't find very much of this. Maybe Yishayahu Gimel about, you know, uh, uh, you know, now, and describing the way they would walk. But I think for the most part, you don't find very much. I don't know if it's because it wasn't an issue at all. Um, or perhaps because in the VM we're dealing with bigger issues, uh, primarily the wealthy and powerful oppressing and fleecing the poor, which in itself may be connected to this. I'll call this issue of zius in the sense of consumption. Um, the desire for ever-expanding wealth is often pushed forward by seeing the next guy showing off his bigger yacht, his bigger house, his fancier car. So then you need to one up that person. Uh, he builds a bigger mansion. You need to one up that, um, and if that means squeezing out the poor who's in between the two of you, th- then so be it. Yeshayahu does describe how, I'm, and this unfortunately seems to, to me to resonate very much in my community. Uh, uh, and I suspect it's not only my community. Right. The ever expanding houses and properties, you know, until the people in between get squeezed out. Uh, why did, why did people build the bigger houses there? Because their neighbor did not because they needed it, but because he's building one, I can outdo that. But I would say on the whole, it's not, it's not, a, it's not uh, discussed extensively that I can think of. I don't know that it was because it wasn't an issue, but maybe because it wasn't the uh, biggest issue.
0: Biggest issue. So if we, if we move from Tanakh to Chazal, Gemara, Midrashim, where do we have discussion about SNEAS in particular Tzniyats for men? Is it talked about
4: at all? I want to step back a little before talking about the, some of the specifics. The question of Tzni is for men and for women. A chazal's usage of the term primarily refers to men, not women. Now, that may not reflect that it's more important for men. It's just that, like in Panach, more Panach is, addressed, is dealing with male figures. So more of the Gemara is either addressing men or I'll call gender neutral. In other words, to both men and women, there are fewer statements that will deal with women, I suspect. And therefore, if you were to just look where the term is used, it's used primarily by men. Uh, Now, I think it's rather unfortunate, this usage, this this assumption that Snias applies to to women primarily. Um, There's a confusion here between erva. And you can have one without the other. Erva means certain parts of the body have to be covered in various kinds of contexts, sometimes for other people, sometimes even for yourself, if you're reciting Dvaram Dusha, even though you're alone, erva is, is, is differentiated. What parts are erva between a man and a woman? Um, that's one topic. Sneas is something that's totally different, and it applies equally. And you can have one without the other. You can have a technical violation of erva, but we wouldn't look at that and say it's not Sunua. On the other hand, unfortunately, you go to many, many situations, men and women, where the the style becomes the clothing is worn so tight uh, it leaves not so much to the imagination. And both true for men and women. And and you see, you know, I, I, I would I would say, firstly, sneas becomes a bludgeon in many contexts used against women, and it becomes a game. So I have to, they think it means I have to cover X and Y. So they do. It's a game of, you cover the amount that you have to cover, and then you totally violate the gidrate News because it's so tight. It's so showy. Um, you just open up magazines, advertisements you go to weddings you see it all the time I, just to make, I, I
0: understand if the clothing is too tight that would be a violation of sneos and not erva is that correct
4: correct correct okay. erva is technically you, you actually have to be able to see the uncovered whether it's skin it's hair whatever it is whereas sneeos you know wearing these tight clothing and it's not just women you see the styles for men now um, so that's that's really a problem. And when we we talk about Snias only being for women, it makes men think that it doesn't apply to them, which is rather unfortunate because it does. And I think within the modern Orthodox community, it leads to another downside because there is a sense that we don't want to talk about it because it's always spoken about in the context of women. We don't talk about it at all. And given how central the Torah value it is, that's a tragic loss. That's a tragic loss. Um, going going back to your the question, you know, w- with that, that comment, what does is, what is the halacha, what does the chazal have to say about tznius uh, for men? Um, so uh, I'd want to just pick a few examples uh, where the concept of tznius is really the underpinning concepts of halacha. Uh, the first one, I think somewhat well-known, is the opening sugyan Uh The Gemara there at least has a supposed mach where the hezek re'iya shmei hezek. Hezek re'iya means I can I can see what you're doing. And is that considered a form of damage because I'm invading your privacy? Now, I say it's a supposed debate whether the Hezek Ria is considered Hezek or not, because if you read the Sugya, initially the Gemara starts with there are two opinions, but then the Gemara goes on to explain, well, basically everybody agrees that Hezek Ria is Hezek in this context and that context. The argument is in a very, very narrow specific case in a person's courtyard. Um, but everybody agrees in principle that Hezek Ria is considered Hezek, that, in, that invasion of privacy is a violation of kind of a, of a kind of nesek. It's not something that you pay damage foreign court, but it is certainly, it is actionable in a court. A court can force you to create separation. So the Gemara quotes, interestingly, as one example, that la lamo bishashi o medis you're not allowed to stand looking at your friend's field when it's full of its grain, when everything is, you know, showy, it it's wealth. Now, I have to plant my field. That's not a choice. We're not going to tell me don't plant my field because people might see it. Your job is not to be looking at my stuff. Now, when I have stuff that should be kept private, not only should you not be looking at it, I shouldn't be showing it off. Um, the Mishnah at the end of the, uh, of, of the third parak, at the end of Cheska Sabbaten, says that you're not allowed to open a door Opposite your neighbor's door or a window opposite their window, because then you're end up, you're going to end up seeing in. And the Gemara asks, how do you know? So the Gemara doesn't quote a, pas- a pasuk to teach you the halacha, uh, you know, as a halacha. It quotes Bilam, and then he blesses them. So the Gemara asks, what did he say? And the answer the Gemara gives is, their doors were not open opposite one another of their tents, so they couldn't see into each other's tents. Omar, Bilam, recognizes and says he says that these is a people it's worthy they're worthy to have the shechina dwell amongst them because they're tznuim and i guess in this context i would add one other interesting halacha um there is a, a a challenge that the rishonim face uh Resolving two seemingly contradictory sugyos in about and in Sanhedrin about chukos agayim, what is the definition, or better said, does it have to be connected to avodah So many have an understanding that there are two different kinds of chukos agayim, and the one that's one that's quoted in Shulchan Arach is a truva the, the marik, and the marik says that there are two kinds of chukos agayim. One is something that's connected to avodah zara, or Seems to be have no reason whatsoever why you should do it. We would call it like superstitious and it's probably connected to Avodazara. But the second he says, even if it has no taint of Zarah whatsoever, if it's minaga then that's also Hukosagaya. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to suggest that if one were to take the average Jew and the average non-Jew in this world, that the average Jew is more Sanu or not. I don't really know. I'd be hesitant to say that. Um, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. But I know for sure that based upon the Marik's Salaha, which is the way we Paskin, that what we are supposed to aspire to is that the definition of a Jew is supposed to be he doesn't have or she doesn't have a Minot So I don't know if we, how well we live up to that, but that's certainly what we're supposed to aspire to. And this is really, this is, concrete halacha.
0: How do we define pretzis? And I'll ask a a contextual uh, question, more specific question. For example, pretzis, we typically talk about interactions between the genders or uh, lewd dress. But when it comes to the spending of money, for example, if we think about somebody who's earning a a good living, there there are really, I think, three buckets that you can put the uses into. Number one, you can spend on yourself in a good way or an extravagant way. You can give tzedakah to others and uh, you can also save and invest it. Um, and I, we would say that number two and number three, tzedakah and saving and invest, those are good uses. Spending on yourself, or on your family, if it's used in the proper way, that's also a good use. But let's say the person gives chomesh, and he's an Ashkenazi, so he kept out at chomesh. You know, the Ramah says you can give chomesh, and he's got excess now. Is there a problem then of splurging? Would that come under the uh, un- umbrella of pretzus or, or you know, overspending in, in a very... Uh, very outward way. Is that a violation of of Preetz's
4: or is is that not a violation of Preetz's? Before I to respond to the question. I want to push back on the question just a little bit. You, you identify three buckets <clears throat> and I think they're, it's reasonable on the one hand, but when you put saving and investing and Tzedakah you know, in the positive bucket, so I certainly agree with the Tzedakah and I think saving and investing is very important. Um, but I, I think about Warren Buffett as an example of uh, a, a policy, a, a view that doesn't necessarily make sense. Apparently, one of his big causes is population you know, control or something like that to help family planning and so on. But he's decided not to give away his mega billions, of which he planned to give away virtually all of it, to his credit, until after he dies. Now, I guess, but Nahara, he's like an old man. But if that's your cause, there are needs right now, specifically, of course, you have to address. So of course, saving is a generally a good character trait. But if a person is really, really wealthy, so I understand you want to save more and you'll give more stuck down the line, but there are pressing needs right now. Okay, But I'll, I'll stipulate it, it, that, that within it, reason.
0: And the halacha addresses that. If you're an Ashir Muflug, if you're very wealthy, you're not capped, even if on a, in the Ramah, you're not capped by 20%. Fine. So, right.
4: so, yeah, so I, I so let me. I'll answer the question as posed, though. The short answer to the question is Is there any halachic prohibition of spending extravagantly once you've given a Chomesh, which is really the ideal shear? The answer is no. But I'm going to go back to my forest and trees analogy here. You know, God has given you this money, the way the Torah puts it, and it's technically yours to spend it, it once you give away. the the 20%. Um, But a person who lives that way is the classic novel Bershah Satora. Um, And I don't mean that a person who's earned their money in a legal, legitimate, and productive manner should live ascetically and not benefit at all. One has to thread, the at least an ideal spiritual being, has to thread the needle between a Nazir being called a Kadosh and a Nazir being called a Chote. And if a person is completely ungenerous with him or herself, how do you expect them to be generous with others, especially the less fortunate? Um, But I want to just suggest, I I don't know if this has been said before, I want to suggest a very practical way, which almost anyone who has a real surplus of funds to splurge on can do so and is unlikely or at least far less likely to miss the forest for the trees. This is what I want to say. Whatever you spend on, vacation, alcohol, experiences, events, clothing, whatever the purchases, adopt the motto of yiyu l'chalavadecha yi l'cha from lezarimitach. It's a slightly different context. It should be for you alone and no other strangers. You want to enjoy a $500 bottle of whiskey, do it yourself, maybe with a couple of friends, but make sure that whoever's doing it does not share what you are enjoying with anyone else not that You can't tell anybody, right? You go home, you can't tell your spouse. You don't tell your friends. You don't post it on social media, right? In no context, if you take your family on a fancy ski vacation, really the, the super duper resort. If that's what you really enjoy, great. Don't take pictures to share with others. Don't tell anybody else in your family, and of your friends that you went there. Keep it as your secret because you really enjoy it and do that. And I think if you can do that, I, I might be wrong. I, I'm not in that position. But I think that if you keep that as your motto, nobody knows that you're enjoying this particular pleasure, it'll probably work out okay. Certainly much better than the current context. But I think that will be a guide that will keep you in line with what's appropriate.
0: And you also see the real motive in doing it. Is, is it really because you do it because you enjoy it or is it because you want to publicize it? I understand. <laughs> so that's very interesting. That. Now, let, let me hone the question a little bit. When, when talking about uh, spending lavishly, extravagantly, um, what happens when it comes to there's a certain standard in a certain community? So, for example, if somebody lives, ah, I, I'm going to get in trouble if I if I name any neighborhoods. but No names. No I, names. I you know any neighborhood that it may be. And, and the standard and the maximum is the sizes are X size. And you decide to buy a double, triple, quadruple lot and, and to build something that way significantly exceeds the norm. At that point, is there going to be a halachic problem or a hashkafic problem? Or are we still uh, in, in the forest and the trees and in, in, in the the birshu satara? We may be a naval, but uh, is it birshu or are we now not birshu anymore?
4: So, uh, you know, on a halakhic technical level, no. Hashkafically, the answer is, of course, yes, that is the forest and the trees. That's the quintessential pritzus. Pritzus is conspicuous consumption. And what that means is, it stands out. That's what to be conspicuous is. Most of us probably live with things that we could manage without. But to violate Snias means to stand out, to be different from the norms of a place, of a community of society. There's an interesting Kamar and Brachos, I think in the fifth parak, where Hannah prays for a child and she doesn't want it to stand out. She doesn't want it to be overly in either direction. <speaking> in <Spanish> it fits in. Um, we should be very careful about being the trendsetters. Uh, there was a story in a particular community, I won't name, in which there was a zoning meeting and the shul didn't have enough parking. And there were, and one of the people in the, from people in the community got up and didn't understand why the neighbors wouldn't be happy. We come here, we make the houses so big and expensive and nice, which I guess he assumes means that when they sell, they get more money. Um, I'm not sure that A, everybody admires us so much for that. I'm pretty sure not. And B, even if they did, it's not a kiddush Hashem unless it's for the right reasons. Those are not good things to, to be known for, that we come in and we make the houses bigger. You know, when you speak about housing, uh, there's an interesting Yerushalmi in, in Shkalem where Rabbi Abun apparently made very fancy gates for the shul, and he wanted to show them off to Rav Manah. When Rav Manah came and saw them, he quoted a pasuk from Hosea, Hosehu, He said, you didn't have better things to do with the money. There weren't yeshivas to support young people who could study Torah. Preparation for the future. Instead, you build this. If this is true by Bate Knesios, where, where we believe in general the Roman base of Lokenu, how much more so should it be when it comes to our own houses? By right. Ivan
0: Right. Very good. Very powerful. Now, now, let me hone the question yet again. What if you are going to fund that lifestyle, that house with debt? With debt. Is there a limitation at that point? Because, you know, some people uh, have the funds, but many people don't. And they still want to live the life and build the house. And hopefully they'll be able to afford the payment. So to take a loan, be it from uh, Jews, Gemach, Bank, maybe there are differences in that. What would
4: be your view of that? I think the, the, it boils that it's unfortunate that people feel pressured, and and the the response to that is either the pasuk in in, uh, in Tehillim, Lovera uh, verashav uh, It depends upon whether the person can pay back. Sometimes people borrow because they don't have the cash available now, but most likely will. But uh, but in many cases, that's not that, that isn't the case. You know, uh, in Misachas Sarasavos, when Rabbi Yochanan Zakkai asked the Talmidim, what's the uh, uh, I think that's the Mishnah, where he asked them, you know, what's a Shayachik men Adam? So one of the answers was, uh, and it's also inappropriate to put oneself into debt where you become a slave to that debt, at least in the spirit of the law. If uh, then we're supposed to be servants to God, not servants to the debt that we take on to fund a uh, uh, a fancy lifestyle.
0: Yeah, very good. So so if there was one thing that you'd want to say to the Tsibur here, when it comes to tznias of men in from circles that we really need to improve, what, what would you focus on?
4: That's a hard question. I, I would say the following. We live in a society, but broadly, uh, where pretus is the quintessential being in the society. I don't mean with respect to sexuality, although that's true. But I would say in terms of money and fame, there, in, in, there's essentially nothing left in the popular culture um, that really isn't that when I look around. And I think we, we run into a danger. You see, when we encounter certain kinds of ideological issues, to take two examples without going, I don't want to get into the weeds of feminism and LGBTQ. We, However one responds to those issues and the challenges, we recognize that we're dealing with a moral challenge, a challenge of values that are against Torah, and how do we grapple it? how we deal with it? The problem here is we don't step back and think Wait, the messages that society is delivering to us are the messages of preachers, of consumption, of showing off everything, of living for everything externally, not for a sort of a rich internal life. And I think that when every single area, the way we dress and the way we spend and what we let other people see, that's what men and women, but 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 men have to really think about what is it that we aspire to and what is it that we're really doing? Because this is not just, oh, well, you know, it's Mutter and, you know, it makes life harder and it, 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 it makes things more expensive for other people people. This is such an essential way of being spiritually, such an essential to our value. We have to sort of bring our guard back up again.
0: It's who we are. It's what we are. It's our essence. It certainly should be. Very good. Well, Rabbi Weider, Rabbi Dr. Weider, I want to thank you so much for being with us. That was uh, in, in, an interesting uh, view throughout Tanakh, Chazal, Halacha. So uh, that was quite an expanse that we covered there. Thank you so much.
4: You're welcome.